You're the can. Or the only one, the only one that has turned beautiful from the ashes. And Lord, we get to be in a relationship with you and walk with you and live our lives with you. And every day, moment by moment, you're turning us into beautiful things as well. Not because of what we do, Lord, but because of who you are. And when I think about just my life and where I am and where I was and where you had me going, and not because I'm standing here this morning with a mic in my hand, but because of who you are. Lord, that is good because you're good. So, God, I thank you. I thank you that we could sing songs. I think that we could turn to your word here in a moment. I'm thankful, God, that we don't have to do it alone. So, God, I pray that you would be glorified, magnified already, and that you would continue to be so as we turn to the scriptures this morning. Be with us, Lord. Be with a lot of things going on in our church family this week, uh, in the last couple of weeks, Lord, and know that your hand is in the middle of all that, too, and we see evidence of that as well. So, Lord, we celebrate what you're doing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors. So glad that you're with us if you're visiting with us today. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us online as well. We have a study guide, just so you know, if you want to grab that uh, on the way out on the back table for a deeper dive out of the sermon this morning. I think you should grab it. Like I think there's good, there's always great questions in there if you want to just take a next step spiritually based off what's just happening in this room. Last week, we kicked off our series for the new year. It seemed appropriate called All in Hope. And the idea is we looked at three big ideas with the, uh, just the, 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 the general idea of what hope is in the scriptures. One, hope is universal. We're all hardwired to be hopeful people. Agreed? Right? You know, we can't live very well or very long without any hope. And we go through seasons where we have less hope and imagine trying to live that way all the time. That'd be super hard. Number two, personal. God has a specific hope just for you. That is more than your current circumstances. Amen? Yeah, more than our current circumstances. And then three, the eternal hope that Jesus provides. We just sang about it. He's the only one that can, that never fades or never withers, never goes away. And so that's the idea is hope. As we started this series, what we're doing is we want to just bounce around the scriptures as we look at stories of hope. And I thought that was just a great place to begin is the idea that hope is universal that it's personal and then it's eternal because that's what it is. And this morning, for the next couple of weeks as we continue, we're going to be looking at God's chosen people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, as we watch them time and time again lose their hope, right? That, I don't know if that ever happens to you. It happens to me sometimes. There's just moment to moment. Sometimes I have good days. Sometimes I have harder days. But the idea is that God never moves very far from where he is. It's just me kind of moving from where he is. And we'll see this this morning um, in our story as we look at the passage. Exodus 15, if you want to stick your thumb there, if you have an analog Bible. They call them analog Bibles now, by the way, right? If you have your favorite Bible app, you could turn there as well. But the danger is when looking at the Old Testament 
is especially with God's chosen people, the Israelites, is that, well, that's for them, that's not for me. They're different from me. But the reality of it is, is because we're all humans, that we all have the same human experience. And those of us that are in Christ are still God's chosen people, even though this is a specific story for God's chosen people at the beginning. So I don't want to miss that. Don't turn off your brains this morning because we're looking at something that's already happened. Because sometimes we walk around in deserts too, right? Right? You know, I mean, we, we have those moments. We have those seasons where we walk around in deserts. And speaking of desert, right, I don't know about you, like if you've noticed your car covered with everything, it's cedar season. Cedar season is upon us. We happen to live next to this wonderful place called Cedar Hill, right, in, in the Metroplex, which is, they name it for something. What do they name it for? Cedar trees, right? And so every night when I go to bed, every morning when I wake up, I feel like I'm wiping sand out of my eyes this morning. So forgive me if I do that a little bit. Cedar season. Yeah, I was told when we moved from Tennessee to Texas, cedar season was a big thing. And and there's this thing called cedar fever, right? And it mimics like flu-like symptoms. And, And I was like, that can't be true. It's really true. You know, I was like, how is that true? But everything's bigger than Texas, right? The flu's bigger, the spiders are bigger, snakes are bigger, the land is bigger, hats are bigger, better, someone said, maybe not. But there you go. So this week, as I said, we're going to look at the big idea that we could have, as we looked at the big idea from last week, this week we'll be looking at the big idea of God as healer in our text this morning. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament. So here's the idea. If you're unfamiliar with where we are, we have the nation of Israel who has been in Egypt in slavery for hundreds of years. And God's going to bring them out of slavery into freedom. They've got Pharaoh. You've got Moses leading the Israelites. Moses is a member of Pharaoh's family, but he's also an Israelite. And so he's got that dual purpose there. And talk about being in a hard season where you're kind of pulled in different directions, right? Moses leaves for a while. He comes back to lead God's people out because God asked him to. It's funny. I always love it. Like, it's like, God, if you're asking me to do something, just tell me really clearly so I can't ignore it. But then I find every way to ignore it, right? Like, it's like, well, hold on, let me do this first, and then I'll get to that. And then when I'm here, I'll be good. Kind of like Moses, you know, he's like, how am I supposed to lead people? I don't even speak very well. And he's like, why do you have to speak to lead people? Just do what I've asked you to do. And so God chooses Moses as a secret Hebrew to lead his people out. And he leads them out. The Egyptian army is chasing them because they want them back. And they cross the Red Sea from here with the story. And so God parts the waters. They walk into, uh, on dry ground from one side of the shore to the other and then if you've seen the old movie, right, Charlton Heston, I think, is in that movie, right? Um, or even the, 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 the later ones that are animated, right? The sea comes in and engulfs the Egyptian army and destroys them. And Israel is free, but they're free from the home that they've known for hundreds of years into this place in the wilderness. And that's where we pick up chapter 15 this morning. Our main text is the back end of the, te- uh, the chapter, but I just want to read Moses' song to you. So this has just happened. They've just crossed the Red Sea. And Moses says this, starting, sings this in verse 1. It says that Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Just kind of like what we did, right? So here's your first evidence of a worship song. You want to know where worship comes from? Here we go, right? I just want you to notice the themes here as, as I read. But again, this is not our main text. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Imagine that, right? The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and he has chosen and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. I tried to make a note for like, tried to pull that in somehow. I couldn't figure it out other than referencing my shaved head. But anyway, I, I, I move on. Um, like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like the lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, I love verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people from whom you have redeemed, and you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Romans done, the peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia, and now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them in your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. You know, and then it says here, here's the little tag. For when the horses of the Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam, the prophetess, the, prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after with their tambourines dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has thrown into the sea. So I don't know where you are, just before we get to the main text, but the Lord has a plan and a purpose for your life that oftentimes involves things that we don't want to face. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it usually involves things that we don't want to face. And so we move from moment to moment for trying to face this thing that we don't want to face, and we move on, and we're good, and we move on to the next thing. We come to grips with just who we are as a people and where we are as a people and how finite we are. But you're like, okay, so that's a nice intro, but what am I supposed to get from this? And so I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Is one, what would you think if you saw the sea open up behind, open up for you to cross? Now just wherever you are, whatever circumstances you're in, the proverbial seas in front of you, that's the circumstance. What would you say, what would you think if the seas just parted for you right now in your circumstances? All right. What would you think if you stepped out onto dry ground to cross between the walls of water as the seas parted? Right? And then finally, what would you think if once you crossed over, you watched the waters come back together and consume the thing that you think you can't handle on your own, which is true? Right? I know what I would think. I would say this God person, the one that we're talking about, that we're reading about this morning, 
he's not messing around, right? He's not messing around. He has something great in store for me. He has something great in store for you. He has something great in store for his people. And if he could do that, that we've just read, he could do anything. If he could do that, he could do anything, which brings us to truth number one. I have four truths for us this morning, but truth number one, when God does something miraculous, it does not always mean that he is answering your miracle request, but that doesn't make it any less miraculous. Doesn't make it any less miraculous. He could do something else, but because we see here that God leads his people into something immediately to test them, that's the idea. He wants to know where he is in relationship to our hearts. Because if he's God, he wants to be worshipped. If he's God, he wants to be loved. If he's God and he's offered a relationship to us, he wants us to actually be in a relationship with him. Which is hard some days, right? Relationships are hard. I want to read you our main text this morning, starting in verse 22. You want to follow along. So they've just crossed the sea. They're on the other side. Everything's good, right? That's usually not how it works. But here we go. Verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter meaning it was salty, it was unfit for drinking. What shall we drink? Excuse me, they, uh, therefore it's named Moran. The people grumbled against Moses in verse 24, saying, what shall we drink, Moses? We just crossed the sea, here we are, what are we going to drink? We have to drink. We have to drink. And Moses, being the good leader he is, says, and he cried to the Lord in verse 25, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet, meaning it was no longer salty. And there the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So if you know, before the Israelites left Israel, there were plagues that were God put on Egypt to get them to free his people, and they refused. And then here you go, and then you get to Red Sea. Verse 22, they, were tra- they traveled about 35 miles. So where they crossed from the wilderness and to where they stopped, it was about 35 miles. And you can imagine the water being an issue. Think about all the exertion it would take to move all those people. You think about the things that you're carrying with you, right? Your proverbial backpack, all the stuff you've got to do. You've got kids, you've got family, you've got school, you've got relationships, you've got finances, you've got your job. You've got all those things that we all carry around with us like in a backpack. And you think about all the inertia, all the momentum it takes just to get from Sunday to Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday and et cetera, right? And somehow God's got them where he wants them to go. And the first thing they're going to run out of is water, is water. And if you're familiar at all with the hierarchy of needs in the backcountry, it's water, shelter, fire, food. And after three days, they had no water. I think I have a picture of where they were. Is that up there somewhere? 
And then there, there you go. So you can see the little dotted line where they've crossed at the point of the Red Sea. And then that first circle there is Marah. And you see it's close to the sea. It's close to salty water. That's why it's salty. And after three days, they had no water. They couldn't drink it because it was bitter. And so the water does no good, kind of like having a drawer full of AA batteries when all you need is a AAA, right? You ever found yourself there, right? You've got a drawer full of batteries. All I need is one stinking AAA battery, and all I have is a drawer full of AA's. Well, that's what the Israelites are looking at. They've got a drawer full of AA's when they need a AAA battery in the form of water. Verse 24, they grumbled against Moses. The Hebrew word for grumbled means to murmur with its root being lodged within the night. So you get this picture. The Hebrew word for grumbling is that they're murmuring with one another. They're murmuring to Moses, and it lasts all night long. Can you imagine like just how crazy and excited and scary all that must have been for everyone, just all the grumbling and the murmuring, and I can imagine what the Israelites were thinking. Like three days, and the Israelites are already giving Moses the worst, hey, are we there yet? Like, are we there? Right? And if you've ever been on a trip, the answer is always no, right? Like, we're not there. If you're asking them, are we there yet, that means automatically that we're not there, right? You know, I, I, we have three kids, and, you know, when we're in a road trip, they're like, hey, are we there yet? No. And then we usually get the, is there a Chick-fil-A coming? No, because they're never where we're headed, you know, because that's just how it works. And can we go to the bathroom? No, you can't go to the bathroom because we're not there yet. We want to get there so we could say yes finally before Jesus returns, right? Uh, and if you ask one more time, we're stopping the car, and you're going to walk home while we go to there. You know what I mean? Like we used to do. My mom would, that's funny. My mom, my brother, my brother and I would do that. We would be on road trips, and we'd pester my mom until she would, like, reach behind us and try to, like, claw our legs with her fingernails. You know, we'd pull her feet up in the chairs and, and laugh at her, and which never ended well. But there you go. <laughs> but that's it. The, the Israelites are giving Moses their worst his worst, are we there yet? And he's like three days on the job. You know what I mean? And he's like, gosh, I, how is this working out? And, and then Moses in verse 25 cries to the Lord. But more like, God, if these, cry, these kids cry out to me anymore, I'm, they get asked one more time if we're going to be there, I'm going to jail, right? You know, and that's what he's doing. And then, and then I love just verse 25 there at the end. God's like, okay, hey, okay, so the Lord showed him a log. It's just sitting right there, and he throws the log in the water, and the water becomes sweet, which gives us our next truth. Truth number two is this. God can use anything at any time to change your circumstances. Do you believe that? He could use anything at any time to change your circumstances circumstances all he needed was a log and I don't even think he really needed a log but he invites Moses to participate with him just like he invites you and me to participate with him it's because just when Moses probably and the people of Israel have just decided that there's nothing that could be done we're going to die of thirst God tells Moses to chuck a log in the pool and it turns into water that you can drink but you know what that must feel like, right? You've been to that place, right? You might be in that place right now. 
There's nothing you can do. Everybody's tried everything. There's nothing your mama could do. There's nothing your friends could do. There's nothing your spouse could do. There's nothing to be done. And it's just like it's done. If he doesn't intervene, it's done. And we love, I just love this beautiful picture of God intervening here. He's taking something that is poison and actually making it something that's nourishing. And a lot of times I think we forget that about our circumstances. We think it's poison and what God's doing is goes, no, actually I'm shepherding you through this. I'm taking this poison. It's not going to kill you. It's going to make you stronger. But that's really hard to be when we're on the, are we sure it's not going to kill us, you know? But what I love here, just in verse 25, is nothing is done with God, including you and your circumstances. Nothing is ever finished until he says it's finished. God can do anything at any time with your circumstances. So I don't know, you might be thinking of your circumstance right now. I don't know what that is, but we all have them. You know, a good friend of mine many years ago said, to look at people gathering for church on a Sunday or in a small group or in a Bible study or anything that has something to do with the body of Christ is look at people carrying something that they don't think they could carry on their own. It's true. Right? We all have those things. Even if you don't think you have that thing, you have that thing. Because if we didn't have the thing, we wouldn't need God, just like the Israelites wouldn't need God to chuck a piece of, law, a piece of wood in the water and make it. Sweet. You are never done with God, no matter what you've done, as long as you have a relationship with, you, with him, just like he's never done with you and your circumstances. Like, there's nothing that can break that. Your circumstances are never done either because, look at verse 26. I'm going to reread that just quickly. Because God made a rule with them. He says, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God... Diligently, by the way, means that you're actively trying to listen, right? Like, how you hear today might be different than how you heard yesterday. You might be in a different season, but diligence means that I'm committed to, right? I'm committed to. And so God, just by saying that, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, that means it's always there. Even if we don't hear it, even if we don't realize it, even if we don't see it, His voice is always there. And do what's right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your God, the healer, the healer. God is for you, just like he's for Israel in this story. Just like no matter what they're going to do, because they're going to mess it up pretty quickly. Right? Just like we're going to mess it up from time to time. Like God is for you. And if you could find those moments, not just when it's easy. This is the crux. If we can find those moments when it's not just easy, that it's hard, it takes a little work, it takes a little effort. If we can just press in, God is always there. And he's waiting for us to do that. He wants us to show him that we are for him as much as we are for him alleviating our circumstances. He wants us to know, he wants to know that we are for him. And that's what it means to be a Christian, right? 
Even when I have doubt, even though I can't see the next step, even though I can't put my next foot in front of the other, I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this valley on that mountaintop. God, oh my gosh, you're leading me from this mountaintop into this valley. That's what it means to be a Christian is to struggle and to walk and to crawl and to pick yourself back up and to walk some more because you are never, ever, ever, ever done. Just like God has never, ever, ever, ever done being diligent about putting his voice before us. Verse 27. I love this. They came to Elam, and God led them to a place of 12 springs, one for each tribe and 70 palm trees, right? By the way, there's different tribes in Israel. I think this is interesting. So God leads them out of slavery. He leads them out of captivity. He leads them across the sea that they can't miraculously walk across. It's not like they've got boats, right? I mean, they can't swim across it, right? He leads them into the wilderness, leads them to a place of bitter water, shows them that he could change their circumstances at a moment's notice, and then leads them to a place that has 12 springs. Now, that's significant because do you know how many tribes there are in Israel? 12. Isn't that perfect? He led them to a place where there is perfect provision for each tribe because you would is you're traveling, like you're traveling with your people, you're traveling with your tribe, just like we travel and road trips with our people and our tribe. When we go on road trips, we ask, are we there yet, right? Like you travel with your people, and God leads them to a place where he has something for each group of people out of his chosen people. And then 70 palm trees. Imagine just the experience of leaving the safety and the and at least the I understand what Egypt is, even though I don't like it, to the wilderness where there's no water, there's animals, there's danger, there's no roof over my head. And then he leads you to an oasis where everybody has exactly what they need. That's what he wants to do because here's truth number three. Where God has you right now is not your final destination. It's not. Your circumstances might say that. Your friends, like Job's friends, might say that. Your own heart might be saying that. Your own head might be screaming, this is it, we're done. And yet, time and time again, over and over again, we see God miraculously deliver his people as they press in because where God has you right now in that circumstance is not your final destination. Amen? Isn't that great? There is hope. That's why we call this all in the series All in Hope. There is hope because not only is this not our final destination, God could use anything at any time to change our circumstances. And God does really crazy, miraculous things. And so if they had just, just trusted, right? Imagine their experience. Now we understand their experience, but imagine if they didn't grumble at the water. Imagine the blessing they would have felt as they walked over the hill and looked down into that oasis with the 12 springs and the 70 palm trees, they're like, look, our God, he did this, right? Imagine how great that would have felt without the grumbling, right? But oftentimes, God has to bring us through our grumbling and bring us through our despair and bring us to grips with the ends of ourselves so that we could actually receive what he has for us on the other side of the hill. 
because grumbling and doubt is the opposite side of hope. And doubt clouds our vision. Which brings us to truth number four. You and I, we can have great hope in God because his healing flows out of his character and his nature. That's the hope that you and I have. We don't have hope in our circumstances. We don't have the hope to, to, to receive what he has. The hope comes out of who he is. The hope comes out of who he is. We talked about this, I think, over Christmas. His character, and he has to follow his own character. He has to follow his nature. And it's not like something that he's good at, right? Like, I'm, you know, whatever you're good at, like that's your characteristic. This is not something that God is good at. It is something that who he is. And the first thing he declares to Israel in the desert is it that in addition to as they're singing that you're strong and mighty and you've broken the bows and you've crushed our, 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 our enemy and all those things. The first thing he says to, to them, interesting, isn't it? Because here's the thing, coming out of hundreds of years of slavery, you think there's probably some healing that needs to be done. And God says, I am your healer. Right? And maybe before, just like them, before we could walk out of our circumstance and take that next step, maybe God has some healing for us as well. Maybe God has some healing for us as well. There's an, another way of looking at the miracle of Barah, by the way. Right? There's another way of looking at it. God's people cried out in desperation because they had no water and they're near death from thirst. And God's answer was to throw a log in the water. Okay. Because God uses things lying on the ground to do miracles. That's awesome. It'd be great if we could do that, right? And it turns the water from salty to sweet. But God didn't change his people, right? He didn't change them. He didn't say, well, here, I'll just make you not thirsty anymore. Now, you're good to go. Have fun in the desert. I'll see you in 40 years. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen. He didn't change our nature. He changes our environment to change our nature. And here's why I say that. Because when that happens, it changes our perspective. If he just answers what I need, I never change. He becomes a Pez dispenser. God, can I have another piece of candy? Please, I want some candy. I need some water. I need this, or I need that, or I want this, or I want that. God, where are you up to? And we, all, and we look at him that way. We never ask what it is that he's actually wanting to change in us. We just want him to change our circumstances. And he uses our circumstances to change us instead. Well, another word for log is a tree, right? It's part of a tree. We don't know if it was the whole tree. It doesn't say. In some translations, it says tree. But I love this. Because if you know the scriptures, God used another tree to change his people in their spiritual bitterness, right? Bitterness is what? Just like the bitter water, Bitterness is the understanding and the futility of I can't go where I need to go because I don't have it within me to do it, right? Israel can't go without water. They could cross the water, they can't drink it. All that water, they couldn't drink it until God chose to change the water. And God uses another tree, if you know the scriptures at all, to change our reality in Christ. Let me say it a different way. And 
God exchanged the bitterness of the law, trying to earn our way to him, for the sweetness of the water that Christ says is a well that never, ever, ever runs dry. See that? Get that? This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is, do, is going to do on the cross at Calvary that we celebrate this coming Easter. He took the bitterness of our working our way to God, trying to be good enough, smart enough, holy enough, which were none of those things, and says, no, 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 here, let me, I'll take the bitterness, you take the sweetness, and let me provide you a well that will never, ever, ever run dry. Here's how I know, right? Another story, the woman at the well, the Samaritan. Israel, by the way, like if you're familiar with also Israel, fast forward to the New Testament times, you've got the kingdom, well, you've got Israel, which is really Judah and Jerusalem, whatever. It's been split and gone, right? And there's this area in north called Samaria. And that's why we call the woman Samaritan because she's a Samarian. Jews hated Samarians. They were like worse than tax collectors almost. They hated them so much, in fact, that they would rather walk 150 miles around Samaria and then come down south into Jerusalem. They hated them that bad. They didn't even want to, like, literally, if you had to do it, like, they would shake their dust off their feet as they would leave Samaria. That's where that phrase comes from, right? But what does Jesus say to the woman who is an outcast, even amongst her own people who are outcast? He says, I have water that you'll never thirst again. And he reaches down and he takes someone who is the lowest of the low and says, no, actually, because of who I am, I have val- you have value because of who I am, not because of what you've done or who you are or what you've experienced. And so to restate it again, God exchanged the bitterness of the law for the sweetness of the water that never runs dry in the death of Jesus Christ upon a tree. And just like Moses threw the log into the water, Jesus throws the cross into the pool of our hearts and our spirits and the bitterness that was there. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? The bitterness that was there, that's sometimes still there, has now been turned sweet. And so, I think the band's going to come back up. I would not consider myself a bitter person or a cynical person. I don't know if you do either. But if you give God your heart and say, I release this bitterness or this thing or this worry or this concern to you, I believe that God will heal you from that thing. It may not happen right now. It may not happen when you want it to. But we do know it does happen because in Christ, all things have been fulfilled. In Christ, all things are fulfilled. And and I love just that idea. It's just whatever that circumstance you've been thinking through, whatever that struggle, whatever that sin that you don't want to do anymore, whatever that need that you have that maybe you've been thinking about this morning is that all God wants us to do is to diligently seek him and listen for his voice and hand it over. And then all of a sudden the log that gets in the way between us and him, Jesus says, actually, I'll just pull that log away because I am the log that heals you ultimately. I am the tree that that heals you ultimately. I am the water that will always quench your thirst. Because God is miraculous, as we've just seen. And he could use anything, anytime to change the narrative. He could use anything, anytime to change your destination. Because this isn't our final destination. And we know that healing leads out of 
and flows out of his character. And so the thing I want to ask you and I want to pray for is we're going to sing in a moment. I want you to take that thing and I want you to say, God, have it. That doesn't mean you're going to change my circumstances immediately or even tomorrow or next week. But I want you to have it because you died to have me. And so I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. Because here's what I know. The longer we hold on to it, the longer we try to think our way through it, the longer we try to take control and to have it, the more bitterness sets in. And the last thing I think the world needs are bitter Christians. That's the last thing we need. There's enough bitterness already, right? TV, social media, all the things. It's so easy to be cynical these days. But yet, it doesn't reflect the God that we do have. So you guys stand and pray with me. God, as we pray, uh, as I pray, I thank you. Um, One, that you make bitter water sweet. You make the bitterness of my heart sweet. You make the bitterness of my spirit sweet. And that you are the God of all hope and all comfort. And so, Lord, as as we sing in response, as we're reflecting, my prayer is that each of us, just silently in our chairs, Lord, that we would give that thing. And give that thing that Satan is saying, that you're not, uh, you're not, not up to the task, or you're not for us. You're not with us. And that you use it to transform our hearts, not transform our circumstances. Because that's what you want. You want us to be more like you. God, I'm thankful that this isn't our final destination. Where we are in the moment, in our story, is not the end of the story. I could think of a thousand examples where the end of the story was written, and yet it's not the end of the story. Just in my own life, let alone the lives of the people that I know, I'm friends with, my family. And that doesn't mean everything works out great. But I do know that this is not the final destination. And so, Lord, as we sing and as we pray silently, and I ask that you would give us the hope that you gave Israel with the 12 springs and the 70 palm trees. That you give us the courage to say no to despair and say yes to hope. We'd say no to ourselves and say yes to you. We'd say no to our circumstances and yes to your plan, even if we can't see it. Because, Jesus, you are the well that never runs dry. And your mercies will flow for all eternity. So let us sing. It's in your name. Amen.